All right, with that, it is my joy to turn things over to Katie, um, another member of our pastoral staff, who I'm so grateful um, to be able to hear from this morning. So let's see what Katie has to bring to us today. Thanks. I'm actually going to hand it over to Scott first. We're going to start with our scripture reading, and then we'll go from there. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, Haven. I will be reading uh, from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Scott. Good morning, Haven. I am looking forward to talking about uh, this story with you this morning, the story of the transfiguration. Um, but to move uh, in that direction, I want to start with a story of my own. Um, so back in 2018, I had the opportunity to travel with my mom to Mozi Oatunya National Park, better known by its colonial name, Victoria Falls in Southern Africa on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. Now, Mozi Oatunya Victoria, Victoria Falls um, is often talked about as one of the natural wonders of the world the series of waterfalls that cascade down through a chasm and the earth um, is awe-inspiring in its beauty. And so when I visited there, like any good tourist, of course, I came with my camera in tow, but like any good tourist in 2018, my camera in tow was my iPhone. Um, and so I was, of course, walking around taking photos and the way that Mozio Atunia works is there's these different networks of paths. Some are kind of around the borders. You can see the falls from a distance, but as you progress further and further in, the paths get a little more treacherous. There's different steps to go down. And as you get closer, um, all the walkways start getting really slippery. You see the waterfalls have such magnitude that there's constant mist spraying through the air. Sometimes it feels like rain. And as I was taking photos, I was trying to capture this beauty and this sense of awe that I was experiencing in this place. Um, but the closer I got, to the heart of the pathways, this bridge that came as close as you could safely get to one of the major precipices of the fall, 
the more I felt like my camera was completely inadequate. I could not capture what I was feeling and experiencing and witnessing in that place. So I gave up on taking pictures. Part of it was that my phone was not waterproof and I had not planned ahead, but I also just gave up on taking photos and sank into the experience of being there, of experiencing something, being able to touch something, but not being able to grasp and capture it. This constant mist being refracted by sunlight, creating rainbows that surrounded me, if you can picture it. I was so overcome by the beauty of it, it almost brought me to tears. Maybe you've experienced something similar in your own life. Maybe you weren't at a waterfall. Um, maybe it was a, a particularly beautiful sunset um, that just the beauty of it brought you beyond yourself for a moment. Maybe it was meeting a newborn baby for the first time and the awe that that inspires. Maybe you were at a concert and there was just this vibe and this collective moment and experience that um, with the music brought you beyond yourself. Well, that feeling is part of what I wanna talk about today with this story of the transfiguration. You see in the gospels, the disciples have had a picture of who Jesus is, um, not only visually, but internally in their understanding of him. They think they have a grasp on who Jesus is, a mental capture, if you will. Um, but today we're looking at a story where that really changes for the disciples, especially these three disciples who are with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They have their Mozi Owatunya moment um, their moment of being overcome, of not being able to capture what's in front of them. It's a pivotal moment uh, in Jesus's life in ministry that has inspired the church for centuries, um, so much that this event, this story in the Gospels has its own special name, the Transfiguration. And it often appears at a specific important point in the church calendar for churches that follow the church season. See, in the Gospel of Matthew, the transfiguration story that Scott just read for us, it happens fairly late, about chapter 17. So the disciples have been following Jesus in his ministry for quite some time now. Um, and we're reaching a pivot point with this story. Right before this transfiguration moment, Jesus tells his disciples, he predicts that he's going to die and that as the son of man, he's going to rise again. And after this story, we have a few other scattered events in his ministry. And in between, he'll make that same prediction two more times. We're right at the edge, at the pivot point towards the events that will take place in Jerusalem leading up to Jesus's death. And in this time of Lent, this is also a time to journey through that season in Jesus's ministry. So for the past several weeks, we've been in this series that we've been calling the stories that sustain us, looking at these different stories from Jesus's life, stories from the gospel and how they might speak to us today. How are they sustaining in the life of faith? And we're continuing that series, but we're also making a pivot point as we're moving into this Lenten season towards these stories in the latter part of his ministry leading up to his death and resurrection. So that's kind of where the transfiguration rests. 
in this pivot point. And that's partly what makes it so important. So today I wanna explore why the transfiguration of Jesus matters for us. How is it a story that sustains us? In 2021, in Lent, almost a year uh, into the COVID-19 pandemic. But to understand the significance of this moment for Jesus's ministry um, and why it might be a story that sustains us, we have to look to the past first because the transfiguration tells us something about who Jesus is by drawing us back to even older stories about who God is. The story of the transfiguration and his imagery is meant to remind us of the book of Exodus. There are little details that harken back to Exodus all over this story. And without them, we can't really make sense of the story and how it might be a story that sustains us today. So I wanna start by taking just a little tour through some of the Exodus imagery that's showing up in this short story. What are some things if we're a first century Jewish audience familiar with the Torah, Matt, which is Matthew's original audience, what are some things that we should notice? Well, the first thing that we should notice is that Jesus and these three disciples are going up a high mountain. And that high mountain make us think of Mount Sinai, the high mountain that Moses himself walked up to encounter God and receive the Ten Commandments. So that's the first piece of a high mountain. The second piece of the story is that there's a cloud that comes, right? It says that while he was still speaking, Peter, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, for those that are familiar with the stories in Exodus, they'll recognize the fact that God's presence in the book of Exodus often shows up as a cloud, this mysterious and awe-inspiring presence. The divine as a cloud is what guides the Israelites through the wilderness and their wanderings. It's also sometimes how Moses encounters God when Moses and God speak with one another. It's also where God hovers um, in the holy place that the Israelites set up, which is often called the tabernacle. See, Peter says something that might seem a little strange to us in this story. In the midst of all this that is happening, as Jesus is transfigured before his eyes, and Moses and Elijah appear seemingly real enough looking to him that he is acknowledging them as equal presences there as much as Jesus's. Peter offers to build three dwellings. Why does he do this? What is this about? Well, the dwellings, that word is also a tent or a tabernacle. See, when the Israelites were wandering in the book of Exodus, they would build a tabernacle wherever they set up camp, basically. And this would be their temporary holy space where God's presence would reside for the people of Israel. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, have remembered this time of wandering, of dependence on God, but also encountering God in this particular way. It's still a holiday that is a part of the Jewish tradition today. That holiday is known as Sukkot. It's a fall 
harvest festival where people gather to remember this time and sometimes build dwelling places. So when Peter makes this offer, he's acknowledging something very specific. He's acknowledging God's presence in his midst, but he's also acknowledging the way that God's presence showed up in his tradition, particularly in the time of the Exodus wandering. Right? So you see this, this short story has so much of Exodus packed into it. We've got a high mountain, we've got a cloud, we've got Peter making this very specific offering. And then we've got the disciples being terrified. This is a scary moment for them. It is so awe-inspiring when Jesus transforms behind, before their eyes um, and God shows up in this cloud and God speaks, they're terrified. And that should remind us of those moments um, in the Hebrew Bible, not only with Moses, but with many other people who encountered God in this direct and awe-inspiring way and were overcome. And finally, we're told that Jesus's face is shining. It's bright, it's shining a dazzling white. And this would remind Matthew's audience and anyone familiar with the book of Exodus of how Moses' face used to shine after communicating with God on the mountain. He would veil his face when he came back down so that others wouldn't notice. Right? So we've got all of these elements that are coming together in this short story where this major event is happening. Why does this matter? What does all this Exodus stuff have to do with Jesus? I think the transfiguration moment tells those three disciples and us that that God, the God of Exodus, the God who shines in glory, the God who speaks from a cloud, that God has everything to do with this Jesus. They're not separate. Jesus embodies that God in his own way and has from the moment his ministry began. We see a real parallel here the words that God speaks from the cloud. This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. These are the same words that the divine speaks from the heavens when Jesus emerges from the water in his baptism. It's like a bookends here on this story of Jesus's life and ministry that has always been embedded with the divinity, with the God of Exodus, the God who shines in glory. Jesus is transfigured. And the word here is metamorphose, which of course is where we get our word for metamorphosis. Maybe it's a little corny, but it's like Jesus is having his butterfly moment, you know? Like they have this idea of who Jesus is. We see a caterpillar, right? But then in this moment, Jesus is transformed and he emerges as something different and beautiful and awe-inspiring. Jesus is transfigured before them. Something is revealed about who Jesus is. And he's also revealed as part of a tradition that has come before him. Moses and Elijah are leaders and ancestors of his tradition. They represent the law and the prophets, but they were also both rejected by the people at first. Jesus has that in common with them. Jesus is a part of and a continuation of this tradition. That God, the God of Exodus, has everything to do 
with this Jesus. Now, throughout history in the church, um, the church has often tried to capture this side of spirituality in certain ways. It's been emphasized in certain traditions and in certain historical periods much more, the transcendence of God. Sometimes we might see pictures of European churches, old churches, that when you walk in them, it's like your whole body is engaged in something beyond itself. There's high ceilings, there's sounds that echoes, there's the sense of incense. Those kinds of spaces are meant to draw people into that whole body experience of transcendence, of being up on the mountain, of being in front of the waterfall, the sunset. But the thing is transcendence in Christianity has unfortunately often developed a particular association over time. Often when we think of transcendence, we can think of a God who is really distant and cold and patriarchal and removed from the cares of this world. Transcendence, we have such a deep embedded spatial orientation, right? Transcendence is up, it's up the mountain, it's in the clouds. Transcendence is above and apart from everything that's going on here. And so I think naturally and understandably, we move away from those images of God because they don't resonate with the feelings of a God who is close and cares deeply. But the thing is, in the Hebrew Bible, a transcendent God has also always been a covenant God. God is close through covenant. The God who appears in a cloud and whose overwhelming glory sometimes provokes fear is also a God who makes and keeps promises. God speaks in visions and dreams. God inspires and leads through the prophets. God cares deeply about justice and hears the cries and laments of the afflicted. God being beyond us doesn't have to mean God being distanced from us. That idea of transcendence, I think doesn't even necessarily really align with so much of what the tradition has to offer us, especially in our sacred texts. God being beyond us doesn't have to mean God being distanced from us. So what does that have to do with the transfiguration? Well, as I was thinking about the transfiguration, there's a particular theologian that came to mind as I was reflecting on this story. Myra Rivera is a contemporary liberation theologian who has written about transcendence. She too has tried to process these distant and patriarchal and controlling associations that we have with transcendence and try to rethink why it still matters. What does transcendence still have to offer us? Um, and here's what she has to say. And this to me is what feels so critical for this story. She says that God is always beyond our grasp, but not beyond our touch. God is always beyond our grasp, but not beyond our touch. I share this because I think this is something that the transfiguration story reveals very well and is a part of why the story sustains us. So let's break it into two pieces. 
how is God being beyond grasp a source of sustenance? Well, I think that it's a source of sustenance because it reminds us that when we hit a wall, when we reach our limits, God doesn't. And that is a source of sustenance. God is a well, a life-giving source of something greater than ourselves when we feel like we reach our own limits. And part of what the Lenten season has historically been about has been about acknowledging our own limitations. In Ash Wednesday, at the beginning of Lent, we mark our greatest common limitation of all, our own mortality, the limitations of our physical bodies and selves in relation to a God who is eternal. But that's not the only kind of limitation. I think, especially in this time of COVID and everything that has gone on in the past year, um, we have become all too aware of our, our limitations. Um, perhaps you've experienced them or are experiencing them in your job right now. Like you just feel like you are hitting a wall and it's rough and you're not sure how to keep going on and this work from home or whatever your commuting situation might be. Maybe you feel like you're hitting your limit as a parent, like you were never equipped for what this year has brought or as a caregiver who's responsible for the well-being of someone else, feeling your limitations in that. Um, I'm feeling my limitations in the sense of where my own future is taking me after graduation. I think that's a common limitation for folks, but especially right now with so much uncertainty, we are feeling our limits. And God being beyond our grasp means that God isn't stuck in those same limits that we are. God can be that transcendent source that meets us in our limitations and embraces us when our backs are against the wall and we have feel like we have fit our hard limit. God is always beyond our grasp. God is beyond our own limits. I also think that God being beyond our grasp um, is an important source of sustenance because it resists idolatry. Idolatry is something that we've talked about in the context of justice a lot at Haven as Leah has led us through her Smashing Idol series a couple different times and we've had ongoing conversations about um, justice and idolatry. It sustains us to know that no person or group can ever fully grasp God. If God is transcendent, if God is beyond all of our own limits and imaginings, it also gives us the strength to look at unjust words and systems and say, that right there is not God. And I think that's really important. Um, it's no mistake or accident that after all of the atrocities of the world wars and especially World War II, there was a huge pivot in the Western theology towards the transcendence of God because people were like, you know what? We got too cocky and confident and settled in who we thought God was and it led to terrible things. So there's this constant flux, right? This aspect, the transcendence of God, God being beyond our grasp helps us to resist that impulse. But at the same time, God is 
within touch. God is beyond our grasp, but not beyond our touch. I think that means that God is not distant. This is the God we so often talk about at Haven, a God of love, a God who was in radical solidarity and relationship with us. God's loving care is a source of sustenance. It's also community. I think God being close to us means that we encounter God in one another. We are made in the image of God. There's a divine spark in each of us. In the Christian church, we say that we are part of the body of Christ. And so we encounter the touch of God, God's closeness with one another. I think this is also partly right why COVID is so tough. Social distance is rough and it's not lost on me that I'm talking about touch um, when there are so many forms of touch we've been deprived of the past year. Handshakes, hugs, um, comforting hand on the shoulder. For me, dancing, I really miss. Um, but being within touch is not just about physical touch. It's about the nearness of God and God's radical solidarity with us and how we experience that reflected in one another. So back to the transfiguration. What does God being beyond our grasp but not beyond our touch have to do with the transfiguration? Well, I think that Jesus in this story especially is an embodiment literally of the God who is always beyond our grasp but not beyond our touch. The transfiguration reveals and centers this reality. See, because the disciples in that moment, they experienced God who is beyond grasp. They were overwhelmed. They became afraid. Their whole bodies reacted. The scripture says that they fell to the ground. Um, but then verse seven picks up and says, but Jesus came and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. Jesus touched them. Um, Jesus is quite literally the nearness and the touch of God in that moment. He is both the God who is beyond grasp and the God who returns and reaches out with touch. Um, and so in the moment the disciples experience in their whole selves, this God who is both beyond grasp and they also experience the touch of divinity and humanity. So for me, when I think about the transfiguration and how it's a story that Christians have turned to over and over again through the centuries, this is what comes up for me and why for me it's a source of sustenance, this story. Because when we look to the transfiguration, we can remember this truth that God is always beyond our grasp, but not beyond our touch and be sustained by it. Amen.